Please do turn with me this morning to Luke's Gospel, to chapter 1, and we find a phrase here mentioned twice in two verses closely connected. Luke 1 and verse 41 and verse 44. Our subject this morning is leaping for joy. I don't know how you feel this morning within yourself. It may be you have joy, it may be you have sadness. It may be you're not sure what you feel, you have so many emotions this morning. That's a little bit as the way Mary felt. Let's just read verse 41 and 44. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then it's repeated very similarly, verse 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Every word in the Bible is important. There's not one unnecessary word. Every word of God is pure. And so when we see a phrase mentioned twice, it's there for a reason. The babe leapt in her womb. The babe leapt in my womb for joy. This is John the Baptist. Inside Elizabeth, his mother. And there is great joy. Have you ever noticed this? Is this a coincidence? Is this just a Braxton Hicks, if you know what that means? Is this just one of those contractions? Well, no, it's only six months past since she has conceived. Usually those contractions, the kicking, the violent kicking, that can even break ribs of the mother, comes a little bit later. But no, this is no coincidence. This is recorded for a reason. Just at that moment, when Mary comes, and the words of greeting come to Elizabeth, John the Baptist, six months into his life, and I say that with poignancy, his life has already begun. Life doesn't begin at birth, it begins at conception. And this little baby is able to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. His mother is filled with the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist kicks. John the Baptist leaps. Why? Because Christ has come into the home and into the presence of this little unborn baby. Isn't that what it means? One child who is inferior but older is bowing and showing reverence to a child who is younger but far superior, the Son of God. The eternal Son of God has come into the presence of the as yet unborn 
John the Baptist. And so we take note. Let's go back to the first message in verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 1. Let's go back to Mary, this 14-year-old, probably thereabouts. What a young girl. Maybe we have somebody who's 14 and a girl here this morning. Just imagine the news that this 14-year-old, just a teenager, hears. The message comes. What's the first word? Note it. Verse 28. Hail! Rejoice! Be joyful, Mary. What a contradictory thing to say. It's a commandment. It's not optional for young Mary. She is to rejoice. When she hears the message, the greeting, when it starts to sink in, this is nothing but bad news. The message, when it's first heard, she thinks, scandal, scorn, talk of the town. What am I going to do? My family will desert me. This is terrible news. How can I bear it? I'm going to have to go into hiding. Joseph will have nothing to do with me. He'll put me away secretly. I'll be left destitute. I'll be a barren woman who has to bear a child which I had no choosing over for the rest of my life. The world is caving in in Mary's mind and she's told to be joyful. Rejoice! Do you know it's just like that when the gospel comes to a life. We hear the gospel and we're told it's good news. The word gospel means a declaration of a change of government. When there was a change of king in ancient times, a, a town crier, a mayor, or somebody with a bell or some way to make the people were here would go through the streets and say in the modern way, Oh yay, oh yay! There's a change of government coming. And when we hear that news, we don't feel like joy. We feel like there's things we're going to have to let go of. Things that are going to have to change. Attachments that we've got that we're going to have to break. It doesn't seem like good news. When I hear of a holy God, and I begin to feel my crushing sin, and I know I'm under judgment, and that begins to bring guilt upon my life. That doesn't sound like good news. That sounds like something to mourn over. Something that's going to change the rest of my life. Good news? Not really. Scorn? Shame? Being cut off? Separated? Leaping for joy? No, 
going into hiding, being shamed for something which I haven't done but I'm supposed to have done, thinks Mary. But no, she's told, thou art highly favoured and the Lord is with thee. What comfort. The worst news, it seems, is accompanied by the best news. The Lord is with thee. That's all we need, isn't it? If we have the Lord with us, the worst of trials, the greatest difficulty that it seems we're going to have to go through will be bearable. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou. Oh, isn't that tender? As what seems to be the biggest trial of this young girl's life that she's had no preparation for, the Lord promises his presence. I will be with you through the greatest trial of your life. The trial that you didn't expect, you didn't choose, you didn't ask for, but I will be with you. And you don't realize it, but you are so blessed to have this trial. Because in this trial, there is joy going to come. Joy for you, joy for Elizabeth, joy for John the Baptist, joy to the world. Through this awful news, there's going to be great favor. Well, Mary at this time doesn't really believe. She hasn't really taken in the message. It's like we say it's all a, a blur in her noise, noise, white noise in the ears. When she saw him, verse 29, she was troubled. Do you know when the gospel comes, sometimes it is very troubling. It puts its finger upon the needs of our life. It shows us our emptiness. It shows us our need of the Savior. It shows us that we're going to have to trust. Trust in something we can't see, we can't touch. Trusting in the intangible. And that's what Mary was called to do. And she was troubled. She cast in her mind, she turned it over and over. What does this mean? What does it mean for me? What's the consequences? How am I going to live with the knowledge that this may or may not happen? Is it true? Do you know that's just the reaction that we have when the gospel comes? All these questions churning over in the mind. How am I going to cope? Am I going to be alone? How am I going to manage in this terrible trial in life? She cast in her mind. And of course, whenever the Lord comes in a real way, whenever it's a true work of the Holy Spirit and we feel the guilt of our sin, we feel the trouble of the mind and we fear fearful, then the Lord comes. And the Lord gives those two words again and again and again. Fear not. Fear not. And there's a personal name. Fear not, Mary. 
Oh, the Lord draws near. And he comes not with bad news, it's not bad news, it's good news. And she will see it to be good news. And she will know that the Lord is with her. And she won't fear, but there's a process to go through. She's got to let the things seek, sink in. She's got to try to understand what it means for her. The angel says, fear not, you have found favor with God, the God who only knows how to be kind, the God who will not allow anybody who he loves to be tested more than he gives the strength to manage and gives the comfort to endure and gives the truth to withstand. And so he goes on. The message continues. Verse 31, And behold, look, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus, and so on. But I want to come down and see the verse 35. You see, this is all churning and turning. And she can't make head nor tail of it. She can't understand it. She's raised a very legitimate question. Verse 34, how shall this be? It defies logic. It doesn't fit with human reasoning. I've not been with a man. I'm not even married yet. I'm only engaged, we would say. I have an engagement ring on my hand. Joseph has gone away probably for 12 months. That was the practice at the time to prepare a room, a home, for the one that he was engaged to. And he would come back. All the town knew of this commitment they'd made to one another. A commitment to be loyal, chaste, pure in the intervening months. Mary says, I don't understand. I just don't understand how. How can it be? I've not come near Joseph. We've not become one flesh. How can it be? Seeing I know not a man. She's thinking in human terms, and that's what we do. How am I going to manage? How can this possibly be true? How can the Lord draw near? How can a child be born when there isn't a man in my life yet? It's reasonable, isn't it? We're not critical of Mary. She's asking a legitimate question. I don't understand. I'm not sure. Please help. That's exactly the same experience we need to go. When we hear the gospel, we need to go through this process of saying, how? How can my life change for the better? How can it be that God will keep all of his promises? How can it be this is good news when it only seems to be bad news? And so here is the reassurance. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come. Notice the Holy Spirit doesn't just come at Pentecost. All the way through this narrative, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is mentioned again and again and again. The one that brings light 
and understanding and comfort and help, if you are churned up inside your soul today, if you have no peace, and I suggest it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit yet within your soul, if you feel like a troubled ocean, then the Holy Spirit is not dwelling and living within your life. And this is how Mary feels in that moment. How can it be? I don't understand. I want to believe, but I'm struggling. Help me. All I can see is shame, scorn, scandal, hiding. And the angel comes and gives the answer. The Holy Spirit is going to come and take up occupation in your life. Look at the word overshadow. I wonder if you've ever seen this. The power of the highest. That's a second reference to the Holy Spirit within the same verse. Shall overshadow. It's a very interesting word. When Solomon dedicated the temple, it's the same word. The glory of the Lord filled, overshadowed the temple. When we read in Psalm 91 that we can abide under the shadow of the Almighty, it's the same word, overshadow. The presence of God through the Holy Spirit that can't be seen, can't be touched, shall overshadow your whole life. There will be protection. There will be, as somebody said to me, bubble wrap, wrapped around your whole life, because the Holy Spirit shall come. The fear will subside. The Word of God will have a ring of truth to it, and it will overshadow thee. It will fill you. It's the same word used in the transfiguration. The bright cloud covered him. Christ was overshadowed all the way through his life by the Holy Spirit when he went into the desert and was tempted and tested and tried. The Holy Spirit went with him, overshadowing him. And this is the promise given to Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody where the Holy Spirit has taken up occupation and dwelling, residing, overshadowing that whole life. You have a trial, you have a difficulty. How am I going to cope? Am I going to go to pieces? Is my whole life like a churned-up sea? Mary, have no fear. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power, the power, the infinite power of the highest. Unlimited power. Power that will take you all the way through your life. It will take you to the cross. And there, probably without your husband Joseph, as we shall consider tonight, when the sword 
shall pierce your own soul as your very Son bleeds to death on the cross. The power of the highest shall overshadow your life. And even the one that dies will make provision for you to be cared for by John. Therefore also that holy thing shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. What wonderful reassurance. You will have the presence of the Holy Spirit, you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit, and you'll have his knowledge inside you. He'll be prompting you every step of the way. I will be with you always. Be not dismayed. Fear not. Well, that's just the beginning. The Lord, through the angel, doesn't leave it there. The promise, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to Mary, but she just doesn't know. She just doesn't know. And she's told in verse 36, you're be going to be given the evidence of somebody else who's been told difficult news, hard news, impossible news to believe. A woman so elderly, so barren, if that's not a contradiction, somebody who was a reproach and a scorn because she was childless, has now got a baby inside her. And she's in the sixth month. Impossible? No. Possible. Because God is there. And with God nothing shall be impossible. Has she believed yet? No, the word of God is just sinking in. It keeps settling within her. First, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, a companion, somebody who's been through the same as you're about to go through, and somebody you know, a relative, somebody you can relate to, somebody that will shepherd your soul, Mary, your distant relative, probably not a cousin, she was too elderly probably for that, but a distant aunt, maybe a great aunt, she has already conceived a son, and the one that was called barren, hopeless. The one who was the talk of the town. She couldn't bear a child. Has now got a child. At the end of the second trimester of her pregnancy. Because Mary, with God, nothing shall be impossible. What reassuring words. Is the faith there yet? Verse 38. Here is her testimony. I want us to notice briefly some of the elements of her testimony. It's one of the shortest professions of faith that you can imagine. And Mary said, this is her response, Behold, look, look at me, I am from now on just a humble servant. The questioning has stopped. The why me? 
The why couldn't it happen to somebody else? No, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I heard the expression recently. The Lord only uses when he's first bruised. He bruises what he will then use. And isn't that true in the Christian life? Sometimes he needs to crush, bring us down, especially when he sees a proud heart, a proud heart that says, I can cope. I'm okay. I don't need God. I don't need his help. And the Lord has to humble. And the words that she uses here are the demonstration that this word has humbled her. The handmaid. The female lowly servant of the Lord. It's the lowest expression that could be used to express how she feels about herself. I see myself now as the lowliest servant. She's been humbled. That's what the Lord has to do to everybody. Humble them. What do you think of yourself? Do you look at your life? Think of your achievements, your standing, your family, of the line of David? No, I'm just a lowly handmaid, a little servant, 14-year-old girl. That's what I think of myself. The Lord has broken her vessel. And now he's going to use her. And then she says, I no longer care what other people say. Be it unto me. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, if you want to use this body to do something astonishing, be it unto me. I accept everything that you're telling me. I believe it by faith. I trust the words that you've told me. I can't believe it. I can't understand it. But by faith, if you give it to me, be it unto me. She doesn't care anymore what the townsfolk will say, what the people will say that she meets in the street. When they turn their back on her, she doesn't mind. She only minds what the Lord thinks. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I'm now yours. I'm not mine. I'm not theirs. I'm the Lord's. That's what a Christian comes to. That's the crisis point, the turning point. I'm no longer my own, I'm the Lord's, be it unto me. Well, she believes God's word, be it according to thy word. I don't want to change anything, I don't want to disbelieve, I want the word of God to come true in my life. This is an astonishing testimony. Beforehand, she thinks of me. She thinks of the consequences. She thinks of what she's going to have to live with. But now, be it unto me 
according to thy word. She doesn't stop there. She gets up, the angel's gone, and Mary arose. That's the problem. Sometimes we believe the word of God. We believe that what he says is for good. We want to trust him, but we're too concerned what other people will say. And so we wait. But Mary didn't. She arose. She arose in those days, and by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, she made haste. And she goes into a city of Judah. She does what the Spirit, through the angel, had told her. Go to Elizabeth. Go to your relative. She'll be your help. She'll draw near. Elizabeth was going to be to Mary what Ananias was to Saul. You see Saul, troubled, blinded, unsure, and he's told to go to Straight Street. Ananias and Saul will meet there, and Saul will be straightened out. It's a bit like that with Mary. She's told, go to Elizabeth, and she obeys. She goes to the one who's been charged to help her. Sometimes we don't go. We wait. We stay at home. We don't go to the one that wants to help her. We stay at home and wallow. But not Mary. No, Mary goes. She makes haste. She goes into the hill country. This wasn't easy. There's no mention of Joseph. She goes and she enters into the house of Zacharias and it's just at that moment that joy breaks out. Joy. Newfound joy. She now has a new companion. Elizabeth. Somebody that's also trusted in the word of God. And she calls out. And Elizabeth and her are going to be like one. The Holy Spirit is now working in both of their hearts. She has a new friend, a new companion. She's been longing for a friend. Who can I turn to? Oh, the Lord has given her a friend. Elizabeth will be that friend. And she goes into her home. There's voice, a loud voice. She spake with a loud voice and said, Elizabeth, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Oh, Mary, the Lord is helping you through this terrible trial. And there's going to be joy, joy at believing, joy at trusting, Joy at believing the word of God was good and right. Joy at saying, God's will, not my will, be done. Mary has joy. We see it in verse 47. Here's a further version of her testimony. And my spirit has rejoiced. I've been given joy, and I've expressed joy. And I've shown others joy in God, my Saviour. Well, there's joy for Mary. But there's joy here for Elizabeth. Joy 
at seeing somebody else experiencing what she has already experienced. She's six months ahead in this journey. And now Elizabeth is going to serve by helping her relative. Joy for Mary, joy for Elizabeth. But don't lose sight of the third person. Joy for John, the unborn John, the one that would say, may I decrease and he increase. And before he can even talk, he communicates in the only language that he could, kicking, leaping, joyfully. Remember the man who needed healing. And the apostle said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. The apostles couldn't give what he needed. Only the Holy Spirit could give that. Only the Holy Spirit could bring the joy that this man needed. And the joy came, and what did he do? He went leaping and praising God. What about you this morning? Do you have joy in your heart? Do you have joy that doesn't depend upon circumstances? Possession? House? Friends? Joy that is within Elizabeth. Joy that's within Mary. Joy that John expresses in the only way that he knows how. This is true joy. Joy that's within. This is the joy that we need to have. Does anybody here this morning? I'm thinking of nobody in particular. This is the joy that we need to have within. It's not an exuberant joy. It's not a put-on joy. It's not a joy that depends upon where we are and who we're with. It's a joy that's within, that nobody can take away. A joy that will express itself with peace, with the presence of God, with the knowledge that he is with us. This real joy comes from real faith. Not just a verbal faith. Not just a faint faith. But a faith that is known and possessed. A faith that is a true work of the Holy Spirit. Throughout these verses, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came. That's the work of conversion. And that's where we get joy from. That's the foundation of joy. If you don't have joy, maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't taken up residence in your life. Real faith brings real joy. Real faith and joy comes from a work of the Holy Spirit. And it comes from hearing God's word and then trusting it. The word was come through the angel, through the messengers, Elizabeth and the angel and others, and they believed it. Elizabeth believed it. Mary believed it. Joseph believed it. 
Have you believed the word of God? Have you truly expressed confidence in what God has said and you are prepared to arise and go and make haste and believe what humanly seems impossible? But how can it be? Well, it will be. Look at verse 45 to close this morning. Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance, a completion, a perfect fulfillment, a revelation of what was told becoming reality. And do you know when we put our faith in the word of God, and in the Christ that cannot be seen, that's what happens. What he says becomes the reality. And Christ will draw near, and the things that have been promised will be performed in your life and in mine. A complete fulfillment, a perfect fulfillment beyond the wildest imagination that Mary and Elizabeth had. A girl so young, she's barely able to conceive. And a woman so old, she isn't able to conceive. And yet both will bear children, because there was the performance after a great trial of what seemed to be impossible. Do you have that joy, that deep joy, that joy which is lasting and unmistakable? May we know more of that deep joy within. Let's sing.